Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And um, this is our last. This is our last uh, sermon on this series we've been talking about together. And we have discussed this whole idea of together. Uh, we talked about together we can find peace. Together we can experience love. And together we can grow stronger. And today we're going to look at the idea about together we can change the world. Now, as a way of introduction, this might grab you a little different. Who is your favorite superhero? Jesus. <laughs> Many movies, blockbuster movies, have been made over the past few years about superheroes. And I get it. You know, there's Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Uh, Wonder Woman, Captain America, Black Panther, Thor, Aquaman, all these superheroes. I don't understand why people like it. I mean, after all, they're the embodiment of our imagination. I mean, who among you didn't wish one time you could have a superpower? Sitting in traffic, you just wish you go, whoop, everybody get out of your way and go. You ever wish that? Don't look at me like that self. <laughs> so we, we get it. After all, they fight for good, they defeat evil, they restore justice, and they... Save the world. But here's where I'm going with this. I would suggest to you this morning that what the world needs is not more superheroes. Perhaps they need more people like Fred Rogers. You ever heard of Fred Rogers? Rogers, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? So in superhero fashion, we're going to have a superheroes versus Mr. Rogers contest to see who wins out. So first of all, raw uh Strength and good looks, of course, would go to the superheroes. I, I get it. All right. But how about when it comes to saving the world? For superheroes, it's all make-believe. All right. But for Mr. Rogers, he would use imagination, specifically kids' imagination, to influence them. He would have moral stories behind it. He would use the imagination of a child to make a great moral point. So fake versus real would have to go to Mr. Rogers. How about superhero pride and arrogance versus Mr. Rogers' quiet, humble attitude? Every day he would speak in that voice and tell kids, I like you just the way you are. He was always addressing them, talking very calm. In fact, he got into TV, by the way, because he didn't like, did not like the way TV and the culture were treating kids. That's why Mr. Fred Rogers got into TV to begin with. Or how about superhero independence versus Mr. Rogers' cooperation? Now, most superheroes have sidekicks, and they have learned that they needed the sidekick to destroy their enemies. But, you know, Mr. Rogers, in contrast to that, didn't need anybody else. He didn't really put anybody else down. He always lifted them up. And by the way, I didn't know this, perhaps you already did this, but he was a Presbyterian minister. I did not know that. What explains a lot about his program. So, we as a church need to make people feel welcome, like what he made people feel welcome on his show. We need to encourage them, 
listen to them and walk with them. And by those simple things that he did on his show, he changed and influenced the world. Talked to his kids who grew up in my era. I remember watching him. And looking back, I did not know it as a child, but every time he would have that little trolley come out and go to the land of make-believe, there was always a point that he was making, some type of moral point. But he did it in such an interesting way, used make-believe, and he, he, he influenced the world. In fact, there's a movie coming out soon about his life. Now, we fulfill our purposes when we experience and live out God's love together. And we share that with people around us, our community, our state, our nation, and around the world. So here it comes. You ready? Changing the world does not require superheroes or superpowers. What it requires is consistent choices to follow Jesus Christ. That's how you change the world. And it's to walk together as brothers and sisters, together on this journey as he leads us. So look at our text this morning. Look what it says in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. As I turn there, give it with me. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, or some translations will run that, compassion. Be compassionate. Forgiving each other. And he qualifies that, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Often when we think about changing the world or making an impact or influencing the world around us, we get hung up on thinking about big things, superhero kind of things. We look at people like Thomas Edison or Albert Einstein or Nelson Mandela or Steve Jobs. And we think about, I can't change it because I'm not built like, I'm not smart like they are. But go back and look at the list we just read. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Forgiving. Those are fairly simple acts. They can be. They can be as simple as a smile or a hug. Sometimes it can be difficult. I'll give you that. But those small things that we can do like that can influence and change the world. Kind, that word can be understood today as a random act to a small gesture of politeness. Just being polite nowadays will get you attention when you say please and thank you. Most of our society is not very polite anymore. And when you're out to eat... Just asking someone if you can pray with them. I've only had one person since I've done that tell me no. And be ready because some people are carrying so much hurt and pain around, they may just unload on you right then and there. And we can invite people to dinner, all the way to maybe housing the homeless. But the context would tell us whatever we do, it has to be measured by Christ. Self-willed offering. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, 
we see this humbleness of Christ. And I'm not going to read that passage. Go read it later on this afternoon. But it talks about how Christ humbled Himself. That He took on human flesh. Now, I can't back this up by Scripture, ladies and gentlemen, but I, I can't help but think when I get to heaven one day, and my faith now becomes my sight, and I see the glory of heaven, and I'll look around and say, Jesus, you gave this all up for me. You, you really stepped down out of here and took on flesh for me. But then Philippians goes, but then again, he took a, not a form of a man, but he took a form of a servant or a slave. Everything he did while he was on this earth was for somebody else. Not one miracle he did for himself. And then it talks about in the Philippian passage, he humbled himself again to die. Not just any death, but death on the cross. A form of public execution that was reserved for the most hardened criminals. It would be like us thinking about Huntsville in Texas where all the death row inmates go. And what kind of character people cross your mind when you think of that? That's what what crucifixion was. A very painful they would keep you alive as long as they could, a very shameful way. It was just horrible to die that way. And yet Jesus, did, he humbled himself. And he's my master, right? And he's my teacher. And I must follow his example. Talks about in our text to be tenderhearted or compassionate. And it's talking about one's deposition when you're confronted by someone else's need. Or someone has failed and they've stumbled and they're confessing that sin to you. You know, the Bible talks about confessing our sins one to another. And being compassionate on that person and say, yes, I understand. Because except for the grace of God, so go I. And I'm a sinner too. And I struggle with these things. And I will talk to the men in the room. So oftentimes we isolate ourselves. We're so ashamed that people might not look at us as a real man. But if we were to step forward and let those barriers down and talk to one another, we'll find out we struggle against the same things. And we can lift each other up. This tenderhearted or compassionate means you respond with mercy, sympathy, generosity, and grace. And look what the last part of forgiving each other. Now, that might be hard, but it gets harder because look at the preface of the phrase he adds to that. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, how has God forgiven you? Completely, right? He holds nothing over our heads. That's what it means to forgive. Now, I understand you may have a problem with forgiveness, but if Dal was to do something, I tell my brother Dal over here, I forgive him, means Dal, I'm not going to hold it over your head anymore. If I have problems with it, I'm going to go to God, the Father. He's going to help me through that process. So oftentimes, we expect the instant forgiveness of God, but yet we're so quick to make other people suffer. So you hurt me, I'm not going to forgive you. Although we may not say that, but by our actions, we communicate that. And the stress is not, the stress is on what can repair and enhance relationships. It's not emphasizing moral perfection. But rather, what can we do to repair and enhance our relationships? Then he makes this statement, therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. That therefore, every time you see that in Scripture, you ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? He said all that to say this. Imitators. Imitators, that's a noun, but the verb is imitate. And Webster defines that as to follow a pattern, a model, or example. For example, 
you might say her style has been imitated by many other writers or he has a very good imitating of his of, of his father's voice. We are to imitate God, follow his example and his pattern. First Peter, chapter two, verse twenty one. For you've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you example for you to follow in his steps. That forgiveness that he offers us motivates us and persuades you and I to imitate God in love. And therefore, points back to verse 32 of chapter 4. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And the basis and the motivation of this love is the standard for love that is set by God. Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. There's one I didn't jot down on my notes I think of often when I wake up in the morning. I praise God because his mercies are new every day. I'm, I love that loving kindness. He's patient, loving God that we serve. We are compelled to imitate this love because we are his beloved children. And I've talked about this before, but just think for this for a moment. That before I came to Christ and gave my life to him, I was an enemy of God. I was alienated from the family of God. And I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But because of Christ, I am now alive. I've been resurrected. I have eternal life. I am now a child of God. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed. That Greek carries so many undertones. I like the way the NIV translates. Has lavished on this idea that he just has poured all this love. Look at that Greek word means from what country can this love come from? Because it defies explanation from the human standpoint. It's so great. It's so lavishly poured out on us that we will be called children of God. It's almost like John says, I can't understand this love. It's so great. It's so beautiful. And it's just lavished out there for us. And too often we see changing the world as a giant mission. I mean, after all, for it to be meaningful and real, it has to be big and impressive. And we fall into negative comparison of everyday life activities. We start comparing ourselves to someone else's single Grandest accomplishment. Reality is that change that lasts, powerful change, is slow and steady. It comes through consistency over time. Like that water we talked about last week, it can carve out the Grand Canyon. It took time to be kind and forgive, to love, to sacrifice, all doing that together. We can change it. You go back and read of any spiritual awakening that's taken place. The first year you always heard about the first and second great awakenings, but there was others in there. It always started with just a few that got out on their knees and prayed out to God. We want to see an awakening, God. We want to see your spirit poured out. And God began to move. And it just spread. It always starts with a few. But it takes consistency. It takes time. And we live in a society today, we want stuff like this, don't we? In fact, it has dawned on me earlier today that in the microwave that I can put something in and have it heated within two minutes 
Now I have an alarm to let me know when the thing's done because I want stuff so fast I have to re- remind me that something's still in there. Hey, you consider this? I have all these moderate conveniences to make us have more time, but the more stuff we get, the less time we have. And we keep scheduling so much in there. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we just need to step back, take a sigh, take a deep breath in. God, you got this. I'm trusting you, Lord. You got this. This is important to remember how as a church together we can change the world. The church gives us a place to find support and co-laborers. Accountability that we need to take consistent incremental steps to become the authentic people God has created us and what desires us to be. It takes time. If you go back and look at any research that's been done, I'm going to pick on myself because I'm a pastor. If you go back and look at any research that's been done about pastors, specifically in Southern Baptist life, the average tenure right now is a little up. It's about two years is the average tenure across the board. And now they've even had a lifetime where they say your first and second year is kind of like the honeymoon period. Everybody kind of likes you and everything's getting along. But then about the third to sixth year, will the crisis start hitting. Start to know each other. Sort of like when you get married, you have the honeymoon, woohoo, we're all in love, and then you start moving in together and you start having these habits that you just rub each other the wrong way. I can't believe you put the toothpaste like this. You have all these stuff. Happens. And here's what Mr. Tom Rainer said in his research. He said, what I found out, he said it was that if you can stay and stick it through those crises with those people from the third to about sixth year, then on that sixth year you'll start seeing that fruit start to blossom. The point, it takes time. It takes time for you to get to know me and me to get to know you. Because let's just be, re- be real. Won't be real? The fact is that we don't want to get hurt, neither one of us. And a lot of times we put that wall up to some degree. It's only when that wall falls down and we go through crisis together. It could be a, uh, it could be a death of a loved one or something that we share a, some type of big moment, it could be little moments through time that we got to, to know each other and now we feel like we can trust each other. It takes time. Is it no wonder that if you track Southern Baptist churches, most of them are plateaued, some of them on decline, that still holds true today? There's many reasons for that, but I would suggest to you this morning one reason is because our pastors are not spending enough time in the congregation they're called to. How can you get to know each other in just two years? I mean, how much growth can really happen during that time? It takes time. It takes time for us as brothers and sisters, the laity. I mean, you get to know each other. It takes time. And it takes people around you to cheer you on, but also to hold you accountable to take those steps to be that God that God's called you to be. I, mean, I look back on my life. I didn't wake up one day and just start preaching right off the bat. God used certain circumstances in my life. And I look back. Even my call to Christ, call to salvation, was God slowly calling me back to himself. A series of steps. And I look back and I should face the future with great anticipation and confidence knowing from Looking back behind me, look what God's brought me through. If he can bring me through all that, surely he has a future 
in his hands. He tells us in the passage to walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Christ's sacrifice demonstrates the standards of God's love. He gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9 and following, he said, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do you will. He takes away the first order in order to establish the second. By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus gave his body as an offering and sacrifice to God. He paid our sin debt once and for all. All eternity past, all eternity forward. He did it all. He gave his life for those who did not love him so they could love him. Now we're going to imitate God through our love. It must be sacrificial. That's the standard. And God's love takes the initiative. And loves first. It, God, think about it. God loved me when I didn't care anything about God. And he took the initiative. We must do the same. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and following. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one Another. And that result of Christ's sacrificial love, it says in our text, it was received as a fragrant aroma. We see that in several places of the Old Testament. When God smelt the soothing aroma of Noah's sacrifice, He told the Israelites the scent of the ram was a fragrant aroma. And when you and I walk in sacrificial love, God is pleased. Just as he was pleased with the sacrificial love of Christ. Philippians chapter 4 verse 18. I have received everything in full and have in abundance. I am aptly supplied, having received from Ephrodites what you have sent. Look what he says. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. They sent to, to help fund his missionary. And he said, look, I, I received that. And that offering is a fragrant aroma to God. That offering we just took up, if you give as a, as a cheerful giver and given as love as God has directed you, that goes up as a fragrant aroma to God, and He is pleased. Coming together, excuse me, to do all this, to change the world requires effort. Effort it requires connection. An important part of life, of the church is coming together, physically, for worship. For studying, for fellowship. How often, and unfortunately, there's a lot of things that can interfere with that. It's easy to let our time at church get squeezed out. Coming together can also mean figuratively coming to a place of unity. And our mission to live it out. And sometimes that kind of working is hard. And sometimes it'll just be easier just to forget about it and avoid the conflict. And discussion. So we put our head down. But isolation kills, doesn't it? For us to do this and carry out this mission that God's called us to, we have to do it together. We need support and a place of belonging. We, we need encouragement and reminders of what we've been called to do. None of us are immune to those needs. And Paul was not immune and he knew it. He faced many obstacles, some of which being in prison. 
He visited, wrote letters, sent messengers, and prayed for them. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and following, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful... And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking their own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's only by coming together that we can influence and change the world. We need that support, we need that accountability. To be kind to be compassionate, to be tenderhearted and forgiving, to be imitators of God, to walk in love just as Christ also loved us. I want to show you something that happened this week. And I'm not intending to magnify the person who said these words. This person was able to do this because of the love of Christ in his heart. And Christ was highly magnified through this. Go ahead and show the clip. I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please.
my point in showing that's not to bring any more publicity to that case. But for those of you who may not know, that lady that he hugged was found guilty of murdering his brother. And that happened live on TV. I'm not making much of him. But Christ was magnified. That puts an exclamation point on that text. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. And forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's already starting to change the world. It's having an impact. That's what it takes to change the world. Together. Together we're making a difference in the lives of some students at Forestburg ISD. Together we're making a difference for some families here in this community. And I would even say it goes further than that because we support the Crawford program. Together we are making differences around this state, around this nation, and around this world. Together we're making differences in the lives of students who give their lives to vocational ministry and theological education. Oh, you think you're not doing anything? You are. By those little things you do every day. And my comment to you this morning is to keep it up. That's how you influence and change the world. Living the gospel of Jesus Christ out in your everyday life. I know he's a Christian. You know how I know that? Never met the man. Never talked to him. Because for him to do that would be impossible if he did not have the love of Christ in his heart. That's how you change the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. For this day, we thank you for the gift of your son. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And we know that you're alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Now your Holy Spirit is among us. And even now convicting us and encouraging us. And Father, I pray that each one of us will be sensitive to that voice. May we live out the gospel, not just talk about it, but live it out. That we may be the instruments that you use to change this world. And that's what we desire to be. We desire to be your tools, your instruments that you can use, your vessels you can use to change this community, this county, this state, this nation, and lead the world. And it's only possible, Father, we can be a part of that without you. Father, we need you, desperately need you. Continue to move, continue to speak to us. Continue to grow us in our relationship with you. Continue to draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. Continue to mold us and to shape us in the men and women you've called us to be and that you desire to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.